Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. And my guest this week is Aaron Anastasi. He's a YouTuber, a life coach, and an author with a new book called The Voice of Your Dreams. How's it going, Aaron? I'm great. I'm, I'm grateful to be on your podcast, Brett. I'm, uh, I, I love your podcast. I love what you do, and, and thanks for having me. Thanks for saying that. Um, let's see. So, so the book is, I mean, you, your YouTube videos are, you, you teach people to sing and then you would think with a book called the voice of your dreams, that would be about singing, but it's actually a productivity book. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd like to talk about how we got there and what the, uh, the crossover is because I honestly don't know yet. Um, (laughs) so, so your YouTube videos, what's your background in singing? Yeah, I I grew up I grew up in uh well he, I, let me just tell you a, a singing story of how I even started singing. I grew up in in a little church in Orange County. I didn't grow up in the church, but I grew up in a, um and they had asked me to play music and sing and I'd been playing guitar for several years at that point and I was excited for the opportunity any opportunity to to perform. And so I was a terrible singer and, and I'm not, this isn't like me being falsely humble. I was a terrible singer, um, but I was a pretty good guitar player. And so I was like, oh, cool. And I want to learn how to, how to play guitar better. So, or I want to learn how to sing better. So I did, I, I went there and I performed, you know, I, I learned a couple like the, the worshipy churchy songs and, and I played and it, you could, I, I remember seeing like I've burned in my mind visions uh, or you know the the people's faces and their their the look on their face of just like what in the world because my voice was so bad at that time so that's actually how I started I thought okay I I need to to kind of learn how to sing and they kindly let me stay there throughout the next three or four years and lead and it was during that time that I did everything I could to to learn how to sing and and read and and had mentors and coaches because I was like I if I'm going to do this performing thing I need to overcome this terrible voice and and teach myself how to sing which is what I did which is what eventually led to my singing program superior singing method it was it was how I went from being a terrible singer to a good singer and then teaching a lot of other people how to kind of thrive and and reach their dreams in that respect because i i know that you don't have to be born with talent in order to be a good singer because i definitely was not i should uh i should go through these uh these videos and then is there like a course a paid course with that yeah and and, that, and that's what how we started we uh, it was a it was a paid course. It is called Superior Singing Method. You can find it superiorsingmethod.com. And that that was what we had launched. Uh, and even that was originally a massive failure. We had launched. I I wanted to teach people to sing, and I thought, okay, so we did it. Me and my couple of business partners. We spent a couple of years developing all the marketing and all the on you know all the online and the pages. And I did all the study and stuff like that, and called it the Singing Guide. And it was just. Gar- it just totally flopped. It didn't hit at all. And so we had to revamp and kind of lick our wounds and figure out a whole nother strategy and refilmed everything and got a, rebranded it, renamed it and everything. And that's and then it kind of blew up. We had, were marketing it on Google at the time. And then it uh, and then it, it blew up after after that. Nice. So so you have in in all cases in your life, you've come from uh, a place of either starting from from zero or having failed at something and regrouped. And that's kind of what your book touches on, um, among many other topics. But yeah. 
take a take a topic from your book, like um, let's say the power of commitment. Yeah. That's uh, that's something that you go through. Um, where where did that begin? Like what what do you have the ability to commit easily to things? Uh, yes and no. So he, here's what I discovered about commitment. First of all, commitment is one of the most powerful forces we have. It's like a superpower when we can tap into it. But I find that most of my clients and and me in a lot of ways have a problem. D- getting grasping this commitment thing when i when i keep my commitments and when i keep my word and i i i am my word i'm i have so much more confidence in myself because when i start something out if i believe that i'm going to follow through with that thing because i am a person of commitment then i generally end up following through with that thing and it becomes more successful as a general rule whereas if i continually break my commitments to myself and to other people i lose confidence in myself and my ability to actually create a new future and and then i end up getting less done and and think less of myself so to to answer your question head on, like, do I have a problem or like, do I have an inability to commit? Like, is that just like a natural thing for me? Hey, the yes is this, like, I am committed to never walking out of my house naked. I, I will never do it. I've, I've never done it. I will never do it. It's like placed in, in the chapter, actually, the book that you're referring to is called The Commitment Compartment. And so walking out of my house naked is it's just lodged deep into my commitment compartment. I would never even consider doing it. And you might be like, well, how do you know you're never going to do it? I just know that I'm committed to this thing. So we commit to those kind of things a million ways in our life. We, we place things into that commitment compartment a lot of times without even thinking. But the crazy thing is when it comes to our dreams and things that really matter to us, all of a sudden doubt creeps in and then we're like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and do this and someday I'm going to do this. And you can just tell by the language that it's not something we're committed to because we have so many limiting voices in our minds that are telling us you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have what it takes, all that stuff that we begin to believe. And then once we believe it, it occurs to us as reality and then it affects the results that we get in our lives. This makes sense, except... For me, I have failed so many commitments in the last few years uh, for various and sundry reasons that for me, it's really hard to believe that I'm going to finish something when I start it. Like I've just gotten to a point where I've I've beaten myself down and found so much uh, gratification in letting go of things that I've decided I can't finish that now I, I think about that from the start. So free advice... (laughs) <laughs> is there a way to turn that around? Yeah, what I do with my clients, I I I start really simple because we can build up that confidence back in ourselves over time, but we can do it with making very small commitments. Um and I, I in a second I want to make a distinction between a goal and a commitment because there there is a difference and I want to talk a little bit about that. But what I do with my clients is I I the really small things like being on time. So if my client calls me uh a minute late cuz I always have my clients call me for our sessions if they call me even a minute late certainly five or ten minutes late but that usually doesn't happen but even if it's just like a minute or two late my first question to them is what was more important than keeping your commitment and so even just a little time thing like that where they start getting clear about 
about showing up on time and just being their word in small little ways. It How we do anything is how we do everything. So if we can just do commitments in small little areas, it begins to build and it begins to spread into the other areas of our lives. So my clients will be like, what would you like to, what two small things would you like to be committed to this week that when I ask you next week, you will do no matter what. And, you know, they'll pick a couple of things. We'll check in next week. Okay, you did those things. And then they, it begins to build this confidence of, oh, I've been telling myself this story that I'm not a person who follows through, but that was just a story. That's not a reality. That I just believed it. I got in the habit of doing that, so I started doing that. So now I'm getting in the habit of being the person who can follow through with commitments, and I'm watching my results change pretty radically. Did you hear the episode with uh, Sir John Hargrave? I did not. He, uh, he, it was like a mind hacking it was about habits. It, the whole, yeah. whole book was about habits that he wrote. And uh, he gets very detailed in the the topic of like uh, loops in our mind and habits that we form but and we don't realize we have the power yeah. to break out of. And uh, for, for me personally, I being bipolar and ADD... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's really hard to uh, to follow through on things that kind of overwhelm me at certain yeah. points in my life, but I I do like the idea of starting small small, small commitments. It's like uh, it, my time in twelve step programs they, they they want you to have a higher power, yeah, and I am incapable of believing. In, I honestly believe I am mentally incapable of believing in a god, and. <laughs> okay. uh, so so they told me just okay so this rock is your higher power. Yeah. And you just have to learn to let things go and let the rock take care of them. And yeah. that never worked for me either cuz <laughs> I think I never made it past step 3 after like 8 years in the program. So Yeah. Uh so that things like that are really hard for me personally. Yeah. Which makes which makes self help books always seem I always think, wow, this author must have it way more together than I do. Which yeah. leads to the question then, overall, what what gives you the the feeling that you can help, say, someone like me? What experiences yeah. in your life? Well, I I would say I've had I've had a fair amount of successes, but that actually is not the thing that, that I would I would I would say I would say Winston Churchill says uh, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. And I would only say that I've failed more than most people I know and have remained enthusiastic about pursuing other things. And that's the only that's the only reason that I've what I've learned along the way. So it's usually from my failures that I I learn the most. And that's what I generally teach from. Hey, I tried these million things and that didn't work. And then this one did. Hey, why don't you try it? Is it possible to be enthusiastic while still thinking you're going to fail? Enthusiastic oh. failure. Okay, so i i don't I don't condone thinking you're going to fail. That, that that's to me that would be another limiting voice. You know the voice. The tagline for my book is uh, "Turn down the voices of limitation and turn up the volume of success." And so if I walk into a situation and I already believe wholeheartedly that this thing is going to fail, then there's a good chance that it will because that belief will affect my quality of action and my level of intention as I walk into that and will probably affect the result. I, I, I'll give you that. 
<laughs> but I will say that I feel like I have continually tackled projects enthusiastically, but in yeah. the back of my head, already planning to not reach fruition with it. Yeah. And that is, it limits me a lot. It's, it, I don't know, I've gotten so used to failing in contract jobs and freelancing and my own personal projects that I've just, I don't know, I'm, I'm in a little, a bit of a bad place with that kind of uh, mentality yeah. right now. So, I, yeah, uh, with, with the believing, believing that something will work out. I, <laughs> there's, uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, I yeah. believe that my life will work out. Okay. But my individual okay. project, I have a very optimistic view of life in general. Right. It's just when I start, when I get a job, say a freelance job, and they, they hand me the assignments, and it's something I know I can do, but then I get started, and my brain gets overwhelmed, and I eventually procrastinate for too long, and then have to go beg them to just, you know, cancel the contract for me. Yeah. And that kind of failure, <laughs> enough times makes me feel like maybe I just should never freelance again. <laughs> I totally get that. I I talk a little bit about that in my in the first chapter of the book. It's called it's called where where to start. And I find that for me and a lot of the entrepreneurs, I end up coaching a lot of entrepreneurs and artists, uh, a wide spectrum, but a lot of artists, artists, and they're usually stuck in this kind of where to start because the, the you know the mind. It, everything in the future, it projects the worst case scenario. So all fear kind of lives in the future of what if this happens? What if that happens? Which to me is when I get overwhelmed and when I begin to procrastinate. But if I just commit to, and this is back to like uh, the small little steps, it's almost like, do you remember, uh, uh, was it What About Bob? <laughs> Talking about baby steps. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this idea of baby steps. For me, if I say, okay, I it, like writing this book, I, I had the limiting voices in my head were shouting so loud. It, as soon as I would sit down, they'd be like, nobody's going to read this book. You suck. You're a fraud. What do you even, even if you finish this book, which you probably won't because you don't normally finish things, if you even finish it, there's no way it'll get published and nobody will read it. So don't even start. It was just like my limiting voices were so loud. But what I found is that if I would just commit to three minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes, I don't care. You're right. You're probably right. Nobody's ever going to read this. But you know what? I'm just going to sit down and do this for five minutes because I'm just going to do that. And after about five minutes, then the limiting voices start getting quieter and quieter. And then I go 10 minutes and then I can't hear them at all. And then I'm so engaged in writing. It's been two and a half hours and now I've got a chapter written. And so that's what I found helpful for me. It's not that I don't doubt it. It's just that action is one of the things that begins to silence those silence those limiting voices and once those are silenced i don't fear as much anymore and then i don't procrastinate so that's been helpful for me anyway that makes sense i have kind of the opposite problem when i do things i've built a large enough audience that i know a lot of people are going to see anything i put out mm. so putting out anything half cocked is yeah. not an option which yeah. is overwhelming <laughs> yeah. But it's the same kind of problem, and it probably has a very similar solution. Yeah, and can I just tell you another story? Everything's like, well, I've got a chapter on that. I mean, well, absolutely. Um, the, one of my chapters is called Pro Not Perfect. And I remember I was in, uh, I, I went to Princeton. I did my grad school at, at Princeton. And once I graduated, fancy. I had written. I'm super fancy, dude. <laughs> um, well, it was, if it makes you feel any better, it wasn't like Princeton University. It was like the Divinity School of Princeton. It's called Princeton Theological. <laughs> I Seminary, didn't feel so. bad to begin with, so <laughs> so it knocks me down a peg anyway, <laughs> uh, in some people's mind. Anyway, so I I had just 
I had written a master's thesis and I wanted to publish it. And I was working with all the different formatting and I just didn't think it was good enough and wasn't going to do anything. So it sat on my desk and I'd work on it for a while and then I'd put it down for two weeks and then everything was jacked up for this particular uh, journal that I wanted to send it to is the Journal of Religion and Health. And so it was like spirituality, psychology, you know, philosophy kind of thing. And so it was nowhere near what I wanted it to be or the format that they wanted. And it had been like three months. And I just finally said, screw this. I'm just going to throw it in the envelope and send it. It's not even anywhere near. And a couple of months later, I heard from them. They ended up publishing it and making some revisions. No doubt all those revisions that I didn't want to make and was scared <laughs> to make. And it it was just a point in my life where I'm like, it's pro, not perfect. I want to do professional work, but I, I'm it's never going to reach perfection. And so at some point, I just need to get it to about eight, what I think is 80%, and then just get it out there and be like, it's done. See, I think I think that leads to the point that there are two kinds of perfectionists. You have mm. the perfectionist who succeeds in <laughs> you know, making something they believe is perfect. And then mm. the perfectionist that is so consumed with what's wrong that they never yeah. finish anything. Yeah. Which is m more me, I guess. <laughs> but so did you did you get a uh did you delineate between the goal and the uh commitment? No, not yet. Thanks for bringing that up. I, the the goal to me is so a commitment is I'm going to make this I'm going to make this happen as much as it's in my power no matter what. And that's you know, you can't say necessarily like I'm going to make this business uh, go public or whatever. I mean, I guess you probably could, but there's certain things that maybe you can't make a full commitment for that. It's just a goal. So if I have a if I have a goal, so okay, for instance, my wife and I, we were $30,000 in debt when we got married. And by we, I mean I was $30,000 in debt from some <laughs> bad financial decisions. We got married then we were so uh, we're thirty thousand dollars in debt, and I'd been carrying that debt around from school and from other some other projects for ten, fifteen years, and I was I just believed this is just too much money. I can't get out of this debt, and so we when we said okay, that's one story. How about how about this new story? Since we I believe that we live into the future that we see coming toward us, we created a new future. Our future looks like nine months from now we're going to be out of debt, and we and this is this is our goal. And this is what we're going to move move toward. So we worked hard and we saved and we did all the stuff and we were really committed with intention of getting out of debt in nine months. Well, this goal, nine months hit and we still were not completely out of debt. And so it wasn't like, oh, well, then we, we didn't reach our goal. So let's just be in despair. We decided we, we looked at the goal and said, it's not what the goal is exactly, but it's what the goal does for us. And we said, well, actually, we after nine months, we were about 90 percent out of debt. So it's what the goal did for us, this motivation. We end up getting completely out of debt within, I think, another month or two after that. But this goal gave us that motivation and that new future to live into that that was that intention. Whereas a commitment something different. I will be there no matter what, you know, as if that what I tell my clients is like, okay, if I were to give you a million dollars, if you call me on time, would you have been able to call me on time? It's like, oh, well, yeah. But it's like <laughs> that level of intention versus like, oh, I'll get there when I can. It's just a different way of living that usually gets a different result. So how do you know when to consider something? Is, is a commitment something you make externally? Is that when there is, I don't know, is it reward based? How do you know the difference? How do I know the difference? How do you know when uh, to make something a commitment versus a goal? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the, the commitment to me is something where I, 
I see more can I see that I have more control over it. It's not it's not counting on five or ten different people to um, gatekeepers, so to speak, in order to do it. So so I'm I'm an actor. So if I say I'm committed to being on a show by the end of the year, it's like there there's so many there's so many gatekeepers between me and being on a show. But if I say I'm committed to no matter what, um, six months from now. I'm committed to making $50,000, then that I could figure out a way and there's a level of intention that I could have and there's a, there are possibilities that I could seek out and requests that I can make and things that I could be committed to in order to make something like that happen. So I guess it varies from 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 uh, thing to thing, but that's, that's kind of how well, it's Well, in that case, so the goal would be to be on a show, but the commitments would be those individual requests and, and contacts on the way probably. I love that. That's that's actually exactly right. And committed to the process. So I'm committed to the process of mastery as an actor. I'm committed to making I'm committed to not caring how I look um, and I, I'll look dumb or I'll look foolish. Or I'll look whatever doesn't matter. I'm just going to push forward and do everything I can. So that's great. You said it better than I do. Hey, I should write, huh? You should write a book. <laughs> See, that's one of the things I failed at. I have uh, I have two books that I have promised people the public. Yeah. And and have been overwhelmed by, mm. and <laughs> I'm not a bad writer. Yeah, I'm just bad at writing. <laughs> at writing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's no. sitting down and and finishing something. Um. So before we move into the top three picks here, there there was one other thing on your list of hobbies, and it was uh, improv. Yeah. That, there yeah. was one other thing that I wanted to talk about. There were pl- you have plenty of hobbies, but. Uh, but improv, do you do like improv groups? What what does that mean for you? Yeah, most recently, um, so I'm in Los Angeles and a big one of the big improv things in Los Angeles and was in Chicago and is New York. It's in a lot of places now, but um, is uh, UCB. It's called yeah. Upright Citizens Brigade. And so I the most recent thing I've done is go through their kind of whole program, 101, 201, 301, 401. So you go through their training programs and then you and then you perform, you know, you perform once a once a month or however that works. So that's mostly how I do improv these days. And and improv is one of those things for me is that I don't actually love improv. I like when I see good improv. It's really funny to me. But because I'm not particularly great at it, it's not super fun for me all the time but i do love what it what it makes me because i tend to be so in my head as a kind of introvert and as a writer and as a just that kind of person i tend to be in my head but improv gets me out of my head and more in my body which makes me more fun to live with for myself and other people and also makes me a better actor so what you're saying is improv is like a gym for you it is exactly what it is for me <laughs> and and i don't always love going to the gym but i love Who the does? way it yeah, it makes me feel afterwards or whatever. I, I don't like people who like going to the gym. I don't <laughs> mind people who like having gone to the gym. Yeah. Those yeah. are good people. But people yeah. who like spend all day just jonesing for a gym worry me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I, I have seen a lot of bad improv that oh, yeah. has made me cringe. But when it's good, I absolutely love it. Um, and UCB is there, there have been a lot of success stories come out of there. Of course, there are a lot of people in it, so I don't know what the ratio is, but right. a lot of, a lot of good stand up and, uh, actors have come through UCB. Plus that oh, yeah. show was disturbingly funny. Yeah. Do you remember the original upper citizens forget? I think it was early nineties. Yeah. yeah. They've got, they, they, they still hawk those, uh, DVDs at the, <laughs> at UCB. <laughs> they were weird. Yeah. They were weird. 
I like them. Yeah, I know. I, I go to those shows and I'm like, oh, that guy's on this show. Oh, I just saw that guy in this movie. Oh, that guy's in this comedy. It's, it's yeah, a lot of people. It's a good kind of jumping ground for people. Nice. All right. Well, we're on to the top three picks now. Great. So we'll go round robin back and forth. Your turn first. All right. One of my, I like, I want to talk about this because it's obscure. Not a lot of people are going to know this guy. His name is David Greco. And the song is called The Thing About Hearts. And David Greco, it's actually La Commission is the name of his, like what he calls like his band, but it's, it's just him. He's a singer songwriter in the vein of like a Damien Rice type singer songwriter. And you could find, if you search on YouTube, it literally has like 300 views or something, but it's uh, <laughs> a thing about hearts by David Greco. He's brilliant. He plays shows around here. And I'm just like, this guy's going to blow up. He's just great songwriter, just the ha- this haunting voice. And um, that's my first one. All right. I, uh, there's an artist named Joseph Arthur who I felt exactly the same about for a long yeah. time. And eventually his songs started showing up in soundtracks. You'd hear it in the background of movies and TV shows. Uh, he had one called Honey in the Moon that ended up being very frequently backgrounded. But I don't think he's ever achieved like any major success outside of New York. I don't know that mm. for sure. He, he definitely got bigger than he was in the beginning, but I saw him when he was still clubbing, I guess. Not yeah. like playing bars, basically. <laughs> And not, it took him a long not time. Not taking X and going to raise. Right, not right. <laughs> no, he was actually, he was uh, a recovering addict when he started out uh, with his oh. career. So mm. he, uh, he, was always, he was always sober singing about missing drugs, longing for the days or regretting mm. the days, a little bit of both. Um, sure. But yeah, I'll, I'll throw a link to him in as well as the David Greco. Um, oh. All right. I wish I had thought to do something more um, content-based, but my first pick is going to be a website called Juke Deck. And you Juke. might actually find this interesting. Okay. Um, it You punch in what style of music you want. Uh, you can choose from, like, spacey or country or, um, you know, genres. And then you can choose uplifting or... Uh, dramatic and or the, the 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 options are uplifting corporate chilled or aggressive and then you punch in a time so like if you have a video you want to add a soundtrack to you just put in the length of the video and it creates you uh, an original royalty free track that you can just download right there that's incredible and you can pay for you know if you have a lo- if you need to generate a lot of soundtracks but for someone who makes you know a screencast once a month or whatever um it's it's free and yeah it's it's perfect because i used to always i always have to uh clip songs short enough that i knew i wouldn't get copyright issues and even then sometimes youtube will just automatically detect a copyrighted song and mute your video (laughs) so no one will be able to hear sound on it at all um so so i started writing my own and uh and using GarageBand and and just writing quick like loop based soundtracks but this nice. makes it so easy. I so like that. that's my number one. What's your number two? My number two is it's a it's a Rode Smart Lav. It's like a lavalier mic, 
and it's uh it's like seventy dollars and i i've been using it because i used to use all this because i have a lot of i live in hollywood a lot of friends in the industry that do all this pro audio with these shotgun mics and it's just like really expensive and the h4n zoom and all this stuff that ends up being like a couple thousand dollars to to really do it right and i found that this smart lav this 70 dollar little lavalier mic that that i pinned to my pin to my whatever and then plug into my phone into my iphone that has a little road app sounds 10 times better than the than what i used to use that was much more expensive and much more cumbersome and noisy so that's that would be my number two pick perfect um i uh dan benjamin turned me on to i had i own uh several 200 plus microphones for podcasting and vocal recording and uh, actually, I think three at this point. And the mm-hmm. one that I'm using right now, uh, Dan Benjamin turned me on to, and it's the uh, Samson C01U Pro. And it, it too is $70. It's a USB mic, and it sounds better than my like Rode Podcaster does. Love it. And um, also got the iRig acoustic guitar microphone. Yeah. Which is also under a hundred dollars, and it sounds great for, as like a resonating pickup. So yeah, there's a lot of, and the same with wine. There are so many ten dollar wines that are better <laughs> than you know thirty forty dollar bottles of wine. Yeah, it's just you need someone to tell you <laughs> which ones <laughs> they are, because a lot of their competitors in the same price range suck pretty bad. Yeah. All right. Well, my, my third. No, oh, it's God. my turn. Oh, I I just threw, I I tagged onto yours. Those were tag alongs. <laughs> gotcha, um, gotcha. <laughs> my <laughs> second one, I'm gonna go with uh, my touch home, which I don't think I've talked about yet, but um, it's a home automation app for iOS with a an Apple Watch component, and I can using an app called Homebridge, which is a like a command line utility. I can turn all of my older Insteon X10 setups into um, things I can access from my Apple Watch. So I can say, I, I, I can't say it right now or my watch will actually do it, but <laughs> hey, hey, Siri. Um, and then, hold on, there, I stopped her. Um, <laughs> so, and then I can just say it's bedtime or good morning and I can control what actions happen when I say that. So I have like full, very cool voice control on my watch. I love that. That's great. I feel like I have talked about this before, but I've lost track because I've recorded like four of these in the last two weeks. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I can, I can uh, walk into my office and have lights turned on using uh, beacons and my touch home. And it's uh it's a great, great tool for anyone who has a uh, home kit or home bridge based setup. It's like the, the movies we'd watch in like the seventies, eighties, nineties that are like talking about the future. Here's what the future is going to look like. And we're like, it'll never be like that. No, it's like that. It is. You know, we're, we're all still upset that hoverboards aren't actually hoverboards, but <laughs> You're right. But we, we, you know, we have private industry space flight and, and, the things that I do on my phone every day, I come, I annoy my wife because anytime, like we're in the car and we have a debate about something and I can just ask Siri and I get an answer right there while traveling. 
And that blows my mind. I think back to when I was a kid and that would have been something we'd argue about all day. And then one of us would have to, you know, go to the library or uh, log into Gopher and <laughs> look for an answer. And now it's just voice activated, touch my finger to a screen that's in my pocket. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, uh, Louis C.K.'s uh, Everything is Awesome and No One's Happy. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? I've seen a lot of his stuff. I don't think I've seen that. He talks about how people complain so much about flying. Yeah. But you have to consider that you're sitting in a chair that's flying through the sky. <laughs> and if you break it down to that point, you should be happy. You know, like a lot of people would pay more to do that in years <laughs> past. But um, what I was going to say something else. Oh, there's a movie. <laughs> Called uh, Space Station 76. Have you seen that? I have not. It's a retro future movie. Okay. Uh, it stars the... the um, oh, I'm, I blank on names of movie stars anytime I try to remember them. Uh, Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler. Liv, yeah. And then the guy from White Collar. Like yeah, the which main, one? The main the character. Young, the younger guy? Yeah. And now I yeah. can't even remember his character's name. Uh, Neil Matthew Bomber Matt Bomber right yeah yeah and so and it's a it's a space station that's in the 70s it's mm. like earth had been destroyed but it's 1976 <laughs> so like the uh the robot doctor is prescribing valium for the the uh bored housewives on the space station and and Neil Matt is growing weed in the uh uh like uh greenhouse kind of thing anyway it was it was well done it's a slow movie but it's kind of fun so anyway you're number three my number three is it's a book called why we get fat and it it originally i read a book called and this is different than what we've been talking about and that's kind of why i bring it up is because i'm into like fitness and eating right and all that kind of stuff and so it, there's a book called Good Calories, Bad Calories, and it's this 500-plus page book about all this all this scientific evidence because he's a writer for like Science Magazine and all this stuff, and he just researches like crazy. And it was all the scientific evidence that these tests that the government has been doing for not just the government, but different different groups have been doing for about a course of about 100 years, you know, 20 years, this one, and this one's a 30-year test, and this was a 10-year test with like hundreds of thousands of people. It's like all this all this research over many, many years and what he discovered that how we're so messed up, the low fat and all that that happened in the 70s and yeah. 80s, like how that was all back. It was just, it's just really good. And then so it was just so, it was a scientific thing and it was just kind of boring and dry. So his publisher was like, write a book that people can actually access, you know, get, get this material. So, and called it why we get fat, which is more accessible to the pop culture. And it's about 200, 250 pages or something. So that's a, that's my next one. That is definitely of interest to me. Um, because my entire life, every five or six years, everything that they tell you about diets changes. Yeah. For example, you know, like low sugar, low fat, all -hmm. of these different Things that were based on current knowledge at the time, yeah, that <laughs> that were actually counterintuitive to actual science, yeah, um, totally. And so, seeing the broad scope of the last fifty years of bad diets and and paleo and Atkins and all of these things, kind of approached from a uh, more current scientific perspective, would be that would be of interest to me for sure. 
it's it's really good. It's changed the way it's changed the way I've eaten for sure. My wife and I, and um, changed the way we look and feel, feel and all that stuff too. So we 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 believe in it not just on a theoretical level, but also a practical level. I uh, I I've st- I started cooking a lot recently, and mm. uh, I, I can't remember the last time I had a, a microwave meal or a frozen meal or. Oh yeah. And we don't even eat out much anymore because I have too many things I want to cook, and yeah. uh, and I've been working on kind of. I figure if I'm cooking for myself, I might as well make it as healthy as possible. Yeah. But I honestly only got into cooking in the last six months and don't really know. So so a guideline, <laughs> a set of guidelines would be very handy that I could make educated guesses from or yeah. educated decisions. Yeah, my wife and I have gotten, a, I don't know if this is lazy or, or what it is, but we we started going with Blue Apron. Have you heard of this? You know, they send you no. like the ingredients. They send you basically the ingredients for six meals it's this it's this three meals for two people essentially and so they send it every wednesday or whatever and then we just we make the food together so it's got all the ingredients there so you make all the meals but the ingredients is all like in like small little bags like here's exactly how much of this you need and it walks you through how to do everything so you're kind of learning to cook and they and it's like good yummy ingredients made by chefs and so we did blue apron for a while and that was good and it was always delicious, but not necessarily always super healthy, although it was healthy-ish. And so we found <laughs> another one that we that was like really healthy that we just started called Sun Basket. And it's like organic and paleo and gluten-free. It's all like the, you know, it's, you can choose what you want. You can do vegetarian. You can do, anyway, it's got a lot of great options. It's a little more expensive, but we just tried that. And, and it's kind of fun for us, too. It, it gives us a chance to just connect my wife and I oh let's cook dinner together where we don't always like take an hour to really cook a meal together we'll eat together but this is it's been fun for us and delicious and healthy that's cool what was that second one called uh sun basket and it's all like farm to table stuff you know everything's like fresh farm organic all that stuff see I mean I I make these days I'm making two or three trips down to the co-op in the farmer's market every week yeah and cooking and when I when I'm looking for a, something to cook, I always look for something that's well outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like, and in the process, learning all of these tricks and combinations that I can use. And then I kind of write my own recipes based on things that I've learned. Um, which yeah, is, how do they taste? Oh, I've made some amazing things. But much awesome. like you said earlier, it's a, a jump from failure to failure with uh, <laughs> never decreasing no enthusiasm. enthusiasm. <laughs> I love it so much that... You know, if I make something bad, you know, I force it down and learn from it. Uh, but yeah. for the most part, I've made things that uh, they're some of the best best food I've had in my life that I made in my own kitchen. And that makes me that is extremely rewarding. So I keep doing it. That's really cool. I'm I'm not quite as creative, which is why I do the sun basket. They just tell you what to do. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> I went to uh, I went to the farmer's market uh, this weekend and it's middle of winter here and below zero and really uh-huh. all you can get are uh, root vegetables. Okay. So <laughs> I bought a ton of root vegetables, including watermelon turnips, which I had never heard of, but they were pretty. So I bought them and then I got home and did not know what to do with them. So I figured out how to make a uh, slow cook stew with uh, tomato and basic stew ingredients. And then a ton of root vegetables and some uh, farm raised sausage. And then discovered accidentally that fresh mint leaves stirred in after it's finished cooking 
yeah make it amazing huh. it is the weirdest taste at first yeah. but your tongue it, it's delightful delighting yeah. okay that's amazing to me is when a chef they just add one ingredient that you wouldn't think of and they take something from being like good to like life-changingly yes. awesome and i'm just like that is creativity if you ever make a sweet potato pizza mm. um the ultimate topping is arugula lettuce or not huh. just arugula um you serve it cold on top and it changes everything super huh. good yeah but stuff like that fascinates me and those little and then you then you yeah. learn why it works those little chemistry experiments are my favorite part of the whole thing that's which so cool. actually leads well into my third pick, uh, which is the Aero Garden that I just got. It is uh, a little hydroponic setup that is it, it comes with a seed kit and everything, and it's basically you you add water and hit a button, and uh, and then over time you do some pruning and raising of light levels and things, but mostly it is hassle free. A hassle-free way to have fresh herbs, flowers, and even fruiting vegetables in your kitchen without any outdoor light or daily waterings or anything. I'm enjoying. I love that. it. I'm gonna steal that one. Fresh, um, fresh cilantro, just ready yeah. for me to just cut off the plant. Uh, even in the middle of January in Minnesota is awesome. I love that because my wife, she's been talking about getting an herb garden as long as I've known her, which is a long time, and she's <laughs> never done it. And that this could be a way, because she she says the same thing every time. No, I'd kill it. I'm not a green thumb or whatever, so I'm not going to do it. I just love the idea of it. But this sounds like you could love the idea and the actual reality of it. Yeah. You don't have to have a green thumb. Yeah, and I, I want, it's it's a goal of mine to develop a green thumb, but I have not made any commitments to actually learning yeah. to garden. Yeah. Just to bring this goals back around to goals and commitments. <laughs> but I, it is, it's been a long, I've always wanted to garden. I always, I always look at people, you know, with their hands in the dirt and think, wow, that must be very relaxing and rewarding. And mm -hmm. then go back to my computer and work. Um, so <laughs> it is of interest to me. But yes, this is a, a shortcut to that, uh, that utopia. Yeah. All right. We still have a few minutes left. Cool. Do you want to talk about, say... You know, there's something I did want to talk about that I thought about earlier, and it was you had wanted you wanted to talk about the YouTube videos and kind of how that started, and I never got to that. I just talked about I Google. derailed you. So I want to talk... I realized <laughs> that is, after, after I changed the topic, I'm like, we didn't, really didn't finish that one. So yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, uh we so we did the singing guide failure then we did superior singing superior singing method and then it did it did really well for a long time we were ranking keywords on on google and then they they released or whatever released they developed that algorithm it was called panda and i know nothing about algorithms that's everything i know is what i just said but what i do know is that it destroyed all of our top words on Google and took them down to not like spot 15, but page 15. So we had 15, you know, like how to sing, singing tips, like 15 of the top keywords that if you typed them into Google, they're like the number one, number two, number three spot, but mostly number one spot. So we're enjoying some of that success for about a year, six months or a year. And then that happened. That was like 2011. And that's when 
I was just having this conversation. I was in San Diego. My business partners live there now. And I actually didn't even put this together, but there was one of our affiliates, a guy who kind of sells our program for us. I'm not going to say his name, but we asked him, hey, where are you getting this traffic from to send to our site? And he said, from YouTube. And so we spent the next several weeks putting together, you know, I researched this stuff and we filmed all these YouTube videos. We did, I think, 23 or 22, like all the very top uh, singing keywords. We did one one YouTube video for each one and we, we launched that. And then it was about, it, it grew slowly. It wasn't like, oh, this went, it wasn't a viral situation. At all. It was just like over time, two months, three months. And then it started growing exponentially at that point. And I think it's at 10 million organic views now or over 100,000 subscribers, something like that. But that's how we started. It was because of another failure and like, a, okay, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And it was it's just a, a new thing. So, so would fun. you say that worked for you? Because Panda destroyed SEO. I mean, everybody's, yeah. yeah, everything changed for everybody. And it still, in my opinion, hasn't recovered. Like everyone who had yeah. well-deserved ranking for years, yeah. you know, like they weren't yeah. like even white hat SEO. They were just creating good content. And then all of a sudden yeah. Google traffic just dropped. And I don't even, yeah. I don't even use Google much anymore for search. Yeah, I use a lot of Google yeah. products, yeah. but you just do Bing or whatever. I use that uh, DuckDuckGo, yeah. and uh, okay, it 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 gives. I have I can't remember the last time I had to uh, switch from DuckDuckGo to Google to get a good result, but mm. it did. It it yeah. was horrible, and then a lot of people started finding other channels. It's funny that yeah. YouTube, which is also Google, <laughs> was, was not your, at the time, uh, but now your life yeah. jacket. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it we never recovered on Google. It 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 destroyed us. And Google, we you know, we've had some we've had some issues with Google over the years. Like even we started an AdWords campaign and and it just never quite panned out for us and then they ended up banning us because they said we we were a harm to their customers because we had our, our tagline was superior singing in 8 weeks or less. So to me this isn't some crazy promise that we're trying to like swindle old ladies money from them or what it was and so they said oh we don't like this you're this is harmful to people and we we're like no problem at all we'll change it we changed it that day resubmitted it to them and they said nope you're banned forever and we were like what and so google has been a little weird for us but youtube even though it is now google has been more friendly <laughs> i need more explanation on this how uh in what way was your product harmful? I, you know, that is a question that I've not answered for myself yet. And they're, they're really hush hush about their, okay. So I even have a, I have a buddy who works at Google and he's, he's decently high up in Google and, and does pretty well there. So he even went to battle for us to the people who do the banning and they gave him some information, but, but they're just like, nope, we've already made a decision on this. It's just done. And I, to this day, I'm just like, it's, I don't know why, and it just seems silly to me. And I've my buddy who runs a lot of the, you know, because I have two other business partners, and um, one guy's on a mastermind group with another guy who makes like four hundred thousand dollars a month on e-commerce. It's like one of his coaches and <laughs> in the mastermind group, and there are like five or six other people in that group, and all of them do really well. None of them use AdWords anymore. Everybody's like, no, we lost our ass on AdWords. It just doesn't work at all for us anymore. So everybody's jumping ship and and doing other ways of marketing now. 
Instagram, huh? We're 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 doing YouTube ads now. We're just starting YouTube ads. I'd be curious how that works. I got out of the uh, web marketing business years ago, uh, prior to everything being becoming so difficult. But yeah, it's uh, I'm always curious what's working for people because I have advertising in my blood. Never never tried AdWords. <laughs> well, oh yeah, well you're you're probably better off. We've never we've never been successful with AdWords. It's one of our several hundreds of failed attempts of of marketing. Well, failure to failure. That's exactly right. So so you're on Twitter as Aaron Anastasi, uh A A R O N A N A S T A S I. Yeah, it's my handle for Twitter and Insta as well. <laughs> and it'll be easier for everyone. Just goes to the show notes and clicks it. Um and you can also find the book at thevoiceofyourdreams.com. Yeah, if if you go to thevoiceofyourdreams.com, you can download two chapters for free just by signing up for my email list. And then also what I'm going to do, I just talked to my book launch team about this, is the first, we haven't decided if it's going to be 24 hours or 72 hours. I'm going to have a link through to all the people that sign up on my on just my email list for the book. And we're, for the first 24 or 72 hours, we're going to give the book away for, I don't know, like three ninety nine or some some crazy discount on it that we haven't quite decided yet. So that that's up and coming. And the book launch is, it'll be around early March. We haven't picked a date yet, but it'll be early March. All right. Um, and then you can also find your previous venture and possibly current at uh, superiorsingingmethod.com. Yeah, yeah, it's still, it's still, still current. And uh, and that will link to the YouTube videos that you've done as well. Uh, yes, if you just if you actually on YouTube we're still pretty well ranked. So if you just type in any singing word or type in my name, like all my videos will pop up. Where I I think our YouTube thing is uh, YouTube forward slash whatever Superior Singing, and then we have another one. It's um, How to Sing dot YouTube forward slash How to Sing dot com, all spelled out. All right. And uh, and I am Brett Terpstra. I'm TT Scoff everywhere. You can uh, find systematic on itunes and please feel free to leave a review and say weird things because i love them and uh and i'm also at brettterpstra.com with three t's in the middle of it and uh and that was episode i don't even know episode 150 something with aaron anastasi thank you aaron for being here yeah my pleasure thanks for having me so thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you in a couple weeks 